Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. The FT. Hello again and welcome to the FT's Energy Weekly Podcast with me, Ed Crooks. I'm joined this week by Carol Hoyos, the FT's Chief Energy Correspondent. Hi, Ed. And by Javier Blas, who's our Commodities Correspondent. Now, of course, there's only been one story really dominating the news agenda in the energy industry over the past week, and that's been this BP oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico. Huge amount of coverage, huge amount of excitement, excitement over it. It's been seen as a very, very... A big political issue. We've had President Obama getting involved, a lot of talk about it, a lot of talk about how it could have a huge impact on BP. And yet we're in this rather bizarre position that none of the oil has yet actually hit the coast. Oh, wait, this is a very curious thing. Uh, isn't that right, Carol, that people are predicting this environmental catastrophe? We haven't really seen much sign of it yet. Yeah, that's right. The real catastrophe begins when the oil starts coating everything um, from the marshlands to the to the beaches and to all those birds. I mean, at the moment, I, I seem to be seeing the same bird, oil-covered bird, kind of and on every single possible picture it looks looks like that um that the green lobby has only been able to find this one this one specimen, oil-covered specimen. But joking aside, yeah, so far the worst catastrophe has been averted. And if they're very, very, very lucky and the winds and the tides work in their favor, it is possible that this will be not quite as dramatic as people thought it would be. You mentioned luck. All the experts on oil spills seem to say that's a very, very important factor, that you can do whatever you try and do with spraying dispersants, with putting the booms down, with skimming up the oil, all those kind of things that BP is doing. And BP is saying that these things are having an effect. But as you say, at the end of the day, luck is really important. It depends on the wind and the tides and which way the oil gets blown. Well, one one of the oil spills you probably haven't heard about is one uh, very dramatic one uh, off of the coast of the Galapagos Islands. Can you imagine a worse place for an oil spill to happen? Well, the reason that didn't go all over the news is that absolutely no wildlife was affected because the oil moved out to sea rather than moving towards the island. And so that's a, a great example of how luck plays a very big part in all of this and and so far in this very bad luck that BP and everybody else has had in Louisiana we haven't hit the beaches and the marshlands yet but of course fishing has been stopped and and so there has been a really big impact. Indeed as you say and there is still this very very large slick whatever it is more than 100 miles wide I think they're saying now at the moment and still the threat is there there's still more oil coming into the sea they haven't managed to slow the flow of it yet and that's still coming out at 5,000 barrels a day and there still absolutely is the potential for it to hit the land and so it could end up a much bigger disaster than it is now. If it doesn't of course though I guess it will have a much smaller impact on BP probably than a lot of people have been predicting. It is amazing. BP's share price has fallen very sharply since the explosion on the Deepwater Horizon. That's for obvious reasons but it's extraordinary the predictions you sometimes see of the impact it's going to have on BP. I saw one analyst checking around a number saying that the total cost could be hundreds of billions of dollars, which just seems crazy to me. And however bad things get, I think it's very, very unlikely to be that bad. And I mean, I think analysts are talking about typically numbers, maybe the cost of BP of about $10 billion or so. So even in quite a quite a bad situation for a company of BP size, which has a market capitalization of whatever it is, about $150 billion, mm. it's it's a hit. 
but it's certainly nothing the company can't survive. Well, the hit will be much broader than BP, of course, and it'll go all the way to perhaps even filtering down to the price we pay for petrol. But very, very significantly, it has already been an issue in Washington or, in fact, as far away as Norway in terms of discussing opening new areas to, to, to drilling and what to do about regulating the safety of the industry. I mean, Javier here will be able to t- tell us a little bit about what the oil prices have been doing. That was very interesting because what happened was the day that the news began to filter into the market, market, oil prices for delivery this year didn't move. It was not reaction. But the price for oil in five, six years' time started to rise, and in some cases, quite dramatically. And, and the, the, the view on the market is this is going to lead to more regulation. It's uh, in places where we were opening offshore areas, such as in, you know the new platform in, in the U.S., the North Sea in Norway, and, and uh, some other places, uh, maybe Australia also, the governments could just reconsider it and say, well, look, this is not as safe as, as, as it looks, and we are not going to drill. Or the, the safety measure could be so draconian that it will be very, very expensive to do it, so the oil companies will not go to those areas. And at the end of the day, most of the new oil that we are discovering these days mm. is coming from, from platforms on the sea, and more and more from areas where BP was drilling on deep water. And in fact, the, the lease sale on in August in the Gulf of Mexico, I wonder if that's actually going to go ahead. Of course, Washington has already said, look, no more dr- new drilling in terms of, um, of even the Gulf of Mexico, and there's discussions about... Um, and that's going to have an impact. I mean, we are going to... Uh, the, the, the reason we are stopping here... Uh, in two, three years, four years' time, we are going to begin to see that some of the new production that we were expecting from the Gulf of Mexico yeah. is not going to be there. And this is going to be just a matter of how long this, this moratorium lasts. But if it lasts and, and all the investigation takes one year or two years, I mean, we saw when the Piper Alpha platform in the UK, we saw a big dip in production in the, UK, in, in the North Sea. Of course, production stopped everywhere. The safety measures were reviewed. But also because all new drilling stopped, it was a long-lasting impact because those projects do not recover so quickly. I mean, you need you need to retender, you need to reposition all the equipment. It, it takes a lot of time, mm. so we, we can see a, a supply impact uh, down the road. Yeah, but still, these things are highly unlikely to be permanent, aren't they? Because, uh, as you say, you know, we need the oil. This is where we're going to get the oil from in the future. These kind of regulations can always be changed, and so if the restrictions do come on, when oil gets back to two hundred dollars, wherever right. wherever it's going to go in the future, as as a result of restricted supply and demand that is still increasing, perhaps not in in the developed world, but certainly in the developing world, then again, surely there is going to come political pressure to go back the other way. Memories of this incident will fade, and people will think, well, actually, we do need to get those those areas open again for oil development. I think one of the interesting things is how short people's memories are. I mean. I used to be UN correspondent and I used to say that the the easiest thing to bash in Washington is the United Nations. I think I'd have to review that and then say the easiest thing to bash in in Washington is in fact an oil company and and even more so if they've just caused a very large spill. But, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, Washington was dealing with oil prices and also gasoline prices in the US being at, at 
levels that were just unpalpable for the for the for the American driver and and a burden on the economy as a whole and it was a big big political hot potato well guess what if you overreact to that you're going to go back to exactly having those kind of discussions so all these people who are getting terribly upset about BP and what's happening have to I think look a little bit further on past BP and ask what really is the true culprit of this and is it, it is the continuing need and use of oil and none of the alternatives are perfect either if you look at biofuels got massive problems of their own. If you look at the Canadian oil sands, they've got problems. If you look at trying to Efficiency import... Efficiency is, though. Uh, That's the one trying... bullet, you know, get out of the, those big gas-guzzling cars. And, and and there the US really can still make some... They've made some huge improvements, but there they really can still catch up with Europe and, and Japan and even China. There's an enormous amount they could do, but look at the outcry when, when they, they try and do it. Well, you know, look at the very, very modest, actually... Uh, improvements on in fuel efficiency, the administration opposed on the car industry. Then People went bananas together. over let's it. Let's get the you know the Washingtonians to say right, okay, let's let's bash BP rather than only bashing BP. Let's kind of say okay, well, let's also then this is a good reason to kind of get into small smaller cars. See, we told you this would be a you know this is in one of the other reasons. If you don't like our green reasons and you don't believe in global warming, well, believe in this. If you don't want more oil spills, then. Then get in, get in a smaller car. I, I just wonder what is going to happen also in terms of new regulation and and the impact on the companies, on the oil services companies, because all the focus, political focus so far has been on BP, and obviously they they're going to pay for it. But all They'll the pass the cost to BP. All the other Generally. companies, all the other companies that uh, if the new regulation starts, and can we see more focus on those companies? I mean, Halliburton. I think they well, will pass it on in fees to the IS, to the international oil companies. I think in the end it'll it'll affect their shares as well. But for example, on Iran, on even bigger and hotter topics, you know, we get terribly excited about international oil companies um, considering investing in Iran, while in fact these oil services companies that you talked to, uh, about are in fact in Iran. So they seem to be able to duck any kind of focus they always whatsoever. Move they, under they, the radar. they are completely under the radar. And yeah, they're I, huge. I mean, I'm sure you're right that the spotlight will come on those companies and Halliburton, Transocean, of course, who don't forget owned the Deepwater Horizon rig. They were responsible for most of the people on board and so on. There's going to be a lot more discussion about them and their role and, as you say, were they inadequately regulated and so on. But surely Carola is right that... They're going to pass the costs on to the oil companies. Of course, it goes on from that. The oil companies pass the costs on because it then gets reflected in the oil price and it's the consumers who end up paying. And, of course, that's the other answer to your point about Americans getting into smaller cars and more fuel-efficient cars is they may be forced to when they're seeing gasoline at five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. That's exactly what I was saying. It's this vicious cycle. And then Washington again begins to talk about the evil oil speculators. We did see a very big impact even before the economic crisis in U.S. demand for gasoline, and and people were changing their habits when the oil price went up. So there is, of course, as you say, an absolute market mechanism by which these things move, and and we've seen it very recently. No, but you're right. Also, that there is there is a better and a smoother way to make that transition, <laughs> rather than relying on everyone having to be kicked in the head by high gasoline prices. That's yeah. if uh, indeed a well-organized policy would certainly work it that way. But I think one of the interesting things that you've been writing about, Ed, is is what the companies are actually doing, which is which is quite intricate and, in fact, quite technically impressive um, at the site trying to, to uh, stop the spill. And there really is movement there, and there has been in the next, uh, last couple of days. Exactly, yes. Well, what they're trying literally as we speak at the moment is they're going to lower this massive steel canopy over the source of the leak to kind of basically drop it onto the seabed. They hope that will then trap the oil. The oil then will collect there... And and then they're going to pipe, run a pipe from there 
up, whatever it is, 5,000 feet up to the surface, plug that into a platform, collect the oil that way. You can tell just from hearing me describe it, that's not an easy job by any means. And this apparently is a technique that's been used before in much shallower water. No one's ever done this before at at 5,000 feet of water. So like with all of these things, you talk about uh, everything that's being done in the deep water is kind of pushing back the envelope, is working at the frontiers of what's possible. And unfortunately, that's true of the efforts to control the spill as well. So absolutely no guarantees that it's going to work. But certainly at the moment, this looks like the most promising thing they can do. They seem to have, just looking at the pictures, they seem to have built three canopies, just looking at what they've done, which I'm not quite sure what they're thinking there, whether they're, because there were, or there all was coming from three separate places, um, whether they're thinking they were going to try and cover the three separate leaks, or whether they've got two spares in case the first ones don't work. And then if it fails, then they're talking about drilling another well into it, and that, that probably, spudding that well will be starting about now. But that, again, is a long, hard job. They're talking about three months, probably to get another what they call a relief well into that to divert the flow of oil and again take the oil oil off in another direction so it can be um, uh, stored safely. Um, One of the things we haven't talked about but I think that we need to remind listeners of is that uh, 11 people lost their lives on this explosion Um, and in in that regard things are moving as well. Uh, Transocean which lost nine uh, of their employees is having a memorial service and on the slightly more negative side um, uh, litigation is piling up and uh, these companies are beginning to be sued by by those who either were injured or lost their lives and by various others. This accident has been a big environmental disaster, but from a human cost, uh, the industry has felt it very, very deeply as well. And it's a good reminder also, though. It's a good reminder of how difficult it is just getting the, the oil that we are consuming these days. I mean, it's gone are the days that, you know, production was in Texas and it was drilling 500 feet down and the oil was flowing. Today's as you were describing, just the moving deep water is extremely challenging and, as we have seen with 11 lives lost, extremely dangerous. Mm. Indeed. As, as you say, it's a reminder for the industry, but but indeed for, for everyone, for all those of us who use oil every day in our daily lives, probably without thinking about it, uh, it is still, even now, a very difficult and dangerous job to produce it. So that's all for this week. Um, thank you very much to my guests, Carol Hoyas, Javier Blas. Thanks both very much indeed. And thanks to you for listening. Energy Weekly was produced by LJ Filatrani. I'm Ed Crooks. Till next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc.